Hello, my name is Wendy Tate, and I'm the Senior Clinical Research Strategist here at Advara. I'm really excited to be joined by Tiffany Danielle Pineda and Brian Severe for the ninth episode of Advara in Conversations With. Today, we're going to delve into the incredible work happening at the University of Florida's Clinical and Translational Science Institute to make meaningful progress towards inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. Hello, I am Tiffany Daniel Pineda. I am a regulatory specialist at the University of Florida Clinical and Translational Science Institute. I am also happy to say I'm the chair of the Cultural and Competency Council there at the University of Florida. And I'm going to toss this over to Brian Severe to introduce himself. Good morning, everybody. Hello, happy to be here as well. I'm Brian Severe. I'm actually the chief operating officer for the University of Florida's Clinical and Translational Science Institute where I've had the pleasure for many years to be working with Tiffany Danielle in several different roles. And now I get to work very directly with her through the CTSI's Diversity and Cultural Competence Council. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Tiffany Danielle. I'm really excited to start the conversation. Are you ready? Let's do this. I'm excited. Let's jump in. Great. First, why don't you introduce the program and a little bit about what you guys have been doing at the University of Florida to give our audience an idea of the fantastic work and the opportunities going on there? Well, under the Diversity and Cultural Competence Council, we kind of use multiple non-traditional things to do. One of, I think, our biggest things that people have seen has been our Black Voices storytelling event. And this is where we use the voices of different Black research professionals telling their experience as a research professional, what they have experienced, how that has been being a Black biomedical researcher at the University of Florida, to get that connection that people may have. Now, usually we sit in workshops and learn about you know, what is a microaggression, what is racism, what is sexism, but just really hearing somebody's story so you can get that connection is a real meaningful way to make that shift for the better. Some of the other things that we've been doing is creating curriculum where you can either take the curriculum yourself as an anti-racism curriculum, or you can pull out a module as a faculty member and include it in one of your courses that you may be doing. And then, you know, really use that introspection and self-awareness to use those tools, use it as a lesson and not a scar. I think these things are opportunities for lessons to make that paradigm shift. And that's really how we come at this as a passion for change for the better and not so much as a punitive guilt-written way of changing the world. Brian, would you like to jump in? Absolutely. I'd also like to add that as we started this, this venture and adventure here at the University of Florida, the CTSI was given the opportunity to take a leadership role. Obviously, as the Clinical Translational Science Institute, we are sort of the home from a disease agnostic perspective about how we need to advance both the translation of science, but also reduce barriers, not for just conducting the science, but reduce barriers for individuals from all varieties of life, all walks of life to participate or be given clinical research as an alternative for other care options. So this is something that we're, you know, sincerely passionate about. And Truly and honestly, we've been blessed that somebody like Tiffany Danielle has this passion herself. We've been able to sort of jump on this with full force, basically because she has a passion for it. There's a high degree of altruism and sincerity from Tiffany Danielle, but also I would let you know that as an organization, we, we sort of put people in boxes. We call them position descriptions. And we were blessed to actually knock all the boundaries off of Tiffany Danielle's position description and say, take us somewhere where we can actually make a difference make an impact and not just change what we do for UF and our local community, but how can we advance this topic for others in the CTSA consortium, as well as folks that are heavily involved in clinical research writ large. So Wendy, that's, that's how we've gotten to where we are. And thank you, Advara, for 
giving us a, a platform and a stage to share some of the things that we've done. And we're blessed and humbled by the fact that you picked us to tell our story. Yeah, the passion is is evident and it's really exciting just to keep hearing your story. We really have enjoyed talking with you about this and just the opportunity that that UF has has brought forward. I'd like to dive a little bit into Tiffany Danielle, your your passion specifically. You know, you mentioned this opportunity that's been brought to you, Brian. You mentioned the the position description kind of being kind of let loose and maybe allowing this to to take fruition. But Tiffany Danielle, can you just give a little bit more on how did this opportunity come up? How did you how did you approach this with UF? And and basically, how did this idea get birthed into the the great program that it is? Part of what I really thought about was if I did not have any hindrances, how would I change things for the better related to inclusivity, diversity, equity, and access? And though that was like a scary and daunting thing, I then went to think about what, how were some of the major paradigm shifts that I had, and that brought me back to. The almost decade I was on the IRB at um, the University of Florida, and I realized that those paradigm shifts happened in non-traditional ways. And when somebody took an interest in me and said something that was not based off of, this is the way we do things, but how do you want to make a difference or something that they saw in me and just reached out to me as a person and as an individual. And so I wanted to do that. And that's one of the things that we're doing at, at DC3 is with our co-mentoring circles. And so right now we're working with Ohio State University and giving people a really brave, safe space to explore themselves, explore the opportunities for diversity, equity, inclusivity in a way that is not traditional. We're not using so much the terms of microaggressions and going from being an actor to an activist to an accomplice and changing things for the better. How would you go beyond what you would normally do and see things and going beyond labels and to just what, what is the right thing to do? What is the ethical thing to do? And how would you do that if there weren't any constraints on that? And really that is, is reaching people where they are. And I think Brian also can see that, that we really are trying to reach people where they are and shift them to their elevated selves. Absolutely. And I'm actually going to, you know, I'm going to put Tiffany Danielle on a pedestal A, she deserves to be. But I actually want to highlight the fact that this was an idea that she approached leadership herself with. A, the establishment of our DC3 council was born from observations. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to sort of set Tiffany Danielle up to, to tell some of these stories. What were some of the opportunities that she was faced with both in her IRB career and then actually stepping in as an IRB and regulatory consultant with the CTSI. What were some of those DC3 changing or DC3 birthing moments in her career that sort of helped us go down this pathway? But really the, the big story here is, is we had an individual that wanted to make a difference. Anything that we talk about in today's podcast today, Wendy and Tiffany Danielle, is simply making the point that one person can impact change, one person can advance a narrative, one person can, in fact, make a significant difference. So for us at UF, that is Tiffany Danielle, and we want to celebrate that with her. But at the same time, I'm going to set her up with a, a quick question. Tiffany, Danielle, can you tell Wendy and I about one of those moments? I, I think I know the story you're probably going to tell. It was about when a uh, physician actually came to visit with you in your IRB role. One person can make a difference. I actually had a uh clinician, a physician herself come to me, a beautiful woman came to my office and she said, Tiffany, I need help setting up a research study, which is one of the roles that I had in the IRB. And I said, that's what I'm here to do. How can I help you? 
And she said, I want to tell you first that I almost died from prostate cancer. And I'm looking at this amazingly beautiful feminine presenting woman. And she said, because I am feminine presenting, physicians never asked me, did I need a prostate exam or how my prostate health was? And because our clinical questions don't have you ask questions based off of what do you need done clinically, just based off how you present or how you identify, I could have died by the time it was caught. I was stage four and almost died from it when it could have been caught earlier and been treated easier and preventable had I been getting the treatment earlier on rather than just going by how I'll present, but rather than what treatment do you need and how is your prostate going? So she wanted to make a change in clinical treatment and translate that from the research question to clinical treatment on how do we get clinicians to ask questions beyond just how I present or how I identify to what treatment do you need as an individual? And that was an amazing opportunity for me to help this amazing physician design a study to help clinicians ask questions beyond just how I may look or how I may identify to what do I need to do to have the best health care that I need. And that was one of the first steps that I realized that we as healthcare providers, as research professionals, have to think beyond the box, beyond the labels that we place on people. And for me to be able to be one of those people to help them go, okay, you're asking these questions, but you're asking them typical questions. Yeah, what a great story. And I'd love to broaden that now because obviously a a passionate area for you, something I think a lot of people in, in the research realm really want to also be able to do. So how do you think academic medical centers, how can IRBs, how can people who are writing protocols or helping get protocols up and going, how can they become better in these types of diversity, inclusion, equity, access efforts? How can they become more thoughtful or more prospectively thinking about some of these issues to really help bring in the entire population into clinical research and really maximize the ability to, to meet people where they're at to do good science? I would like to say, think below the iceberg. Like we present the tip of the iceberg to people when we come in contact with them. And to go beyond that, to go deeper with the connection, treatment really is about treating the entire person. And if we don't go beyond what is just the tip of the iceberg and what presents when they first come into the exam room, we'll never really treat the whole person. And we could have someone like this physician who almost died, who, you know, later on helped come up with a cure, who may not have done that if she had not lived because she wasn't asked the right question. So treating the whole you know, going beyond the tip of the iceberg to what delves below and deepens. And that also starts with how we know ourselves so that we can transfer that to how we treat patients when they come into the room. And and when we know ourselves a little deeper, we can also translate to how we treat our subjects a little bit deeper, how we treat our patients a little deeper. Brian, I think you'd agree with that as well. Absolutely. And I, I think pragmatically, you know, in addition to not just what we see at the surface, but what can we do to impart some of that change? So Tiffany Danielle's experience in both our IRB, we are a large health system here in North Central Florida. We actually have a fairly diverse population. But I think one of the things that's most important here is is Tiffany Danielle's role. Now I'll get back into the box that she gets to set in and, and shine in. Part of her role is she's actually a part of our recruitment center. So we actually offer free consulting services for our faculty members. And one of the things that's really interesting from her IRB background and experience, one, how do we fast track studies to get them through and properly reviewed and and have a lot of the pitfalls already filled in before we get there. But ultimately, the biggest issue is we worry about recruitment and target enrollment. And that's not just hit your target enrollment, but how do you express a study 
from a literacy perspective and a consent perspective that broadens access to the most diverse population possible. So Tiffany actually helps with culturally sensitive language, inclusivity, identifying verbiage and, and changes in statements and consent forms. And that's just a practical approach. The other thing that she's been able to do through both DC3 and her curriculum delivery is she's been able to really create, maybe I should let her, uh, I don't want to steal her thunder, but Tiffany, Danielle, let me set this up as a question. Some of the things that we've done that are atypical, let's talk about some of your training activities where we create Zoom rooms or safe rooms to talk about certain activities. So we do a biweekly Zoom room. It initially started out weekly, but we, we switched it to biweekly. And so really what it is, is I know we typically talk about safe spaces, but really we turned it into a brave space where we're able to be vulnerable and show some of the areas where we have some bandwidth to grow and grow in. We talk about things like Dr. Susie Moore, who passed away as a physician herself because her doctors were not listening to her, where we can talk about, are we clearly listening to the subjects when they talk to us? Are we listening when they may describe it as, you know, raised skin as opposed to a rash? Or do we not hear it if it's not the typical language that we understand subjects to come in and talk about things? We talk about how our own biases may have shown up, but we may not have approached somebody because they did not look like a typical Latino to us and how we may have been programmed by society to, to not approach somebody. Or we talk about how Minister Farrakhan talks about research and how we can be prepared for that when we come up to someone who presents or identifies as Black and know how to approach them. And just in a very clear and transparent way, say, I know you may have heard these things, but be prepared to talk to them clearly and transparently and know these things in advance so that we can have that in our tool belt in advance. And I think that's kind of hard to do, but if we don't do it in a safe place before, they get in front of the subject, it's a little bit more daunting rather than after they've already had the experience and wondering why subjects aren't enrolling. We talk about some of the ways to not hurt their own advancement when, with dealing with subjects, why they may not be showing up for appointments, how they may not have connected with them. Because if they don't finish the, the research, did you get anything that had scientific merit? You've exposed them to risk for no reason. So why they may have withdrawn and dropped out. We talk about those things in advance in a safe way and what language may have been used inadvertently that, that put up a wall that stopped them from attending. I can see you responding to that, Wendy, in your facial expression. Yeah, definitely. And there's so much good stuff here. And I want to definitely get to that subject perspective and their inclusion in research and perspective of research. But before we do that, I want to jump back really quick back to Brian. Because Brian, we're talking about a lot of really great programmatic work that's being done here by Tiffany, Danielle. But I'd like to ask you as the administrator, as someone who is running the operations with Florida, you know, how, how programmatically and administratively are you guys approaching this as an institution and how can other institutions really get this as part of their culture? This isn't just an administrative department that you're checking a box on. This is very clear that this is being woven into the culture of UF. And so how as an administrator, are you doing this so that other administrators can also take this on? Well, the first thing I would like to say, thank you, Wendy, for, for asking those questions, is one, when you have institutional leaders that actually believe in this mission as strongly as Tiffany, Danielle, and I do, then it makes this easier. We're not salmon swimming upstream. We're actually, we're running with the current. University of Florida has equipped us, empowered us, and, and we've extended that empowerment. And I think that's really the strongest word. We've extended that empowerment to Tiffany, Danielle. Sky's the limits. Let's look at where there are 
practical issues and barriers and how do we find ways to lower those barriers while also doing what every academic medical center is charged with, reach your target enrollment, open studies in a fast way, do good science and treat patients in an amazing and compassionate way. So how do we do that while also addressing our bright idea? That's very powerful, Brian. And I think that ties back into what Tiffany Danielle was saying about reaching the participants. So why don't you give us some examples of impact that you have seen in the participants at UF and in their research and taking this beyond just a, we've checked the box and we're doing great things. Like how are we seeing this manifest into positive research experiences with the people that are participating in, in UF clinical trials? So I'll also just jump in and add real quickly too that attending these, these Zoom rooms also back to what Brian said is not just study coordinators, but there's faculty as well. There are clinicians as well, even some of the grant administrators. And it's also not just University of Florida. We have Duke attendees. We have Florida State University attendees. So these are multiple layers of attendees that are coming and that manifests in what you were asking about, Wendy. How does this show up and the ability to reflect in the population? And so I think one of the biggest examples I see of that is we had one investigator who was targeting Haitian immigrants that were coming into the country and, and looking at them for uh, tuberculosis, and she was not getting any enrollment. She was working with the Department of Health, and it, tuberculosis is really an important issue for new Haitian immigrants. And she was trying to figure out how she could assist them, but she was not getting any enrollment. And so I took a look at her study. One of the first things I realized is that the documents were translated into Creole, not Haitian Creole. And so just that first assistance with just helping her get the documents in the right language, she started getting some enrollment. She went from no enrollment to, to getting some subjects enrolled. Then the next thing, just changing where she was sitting when she was coming in. She was in a very open area. There was no privacy. Talking to the Department of Health Administration, she was able to move to a private area, get an area dedicated, and then she was getting even more enrollment at that point. And then the subjects were able to not just talk to her about, you know, the, the tuberculosis and, and that particular study, but she was able to get information about food insecurity and housing insecurity. And so it made a difference, not just with that tuberculosis, but their quality of life. And it, it turned into a bigger, actually, I think she had three more studies from that. And so that's really what we want to do is it started out as one small thing of, I'm not getting anybody enrolled, Tiffany, to making an impact on people that were sleeping in the streets. And that went to actually having housing. That's one of, I think, one of the biggest success stories. And they were able to tell other people about the study. And word of mouth is, is an amazing way of recruiting once people have an, a positive experience. This investigator cared enough about me beyond, you know, can I get a TV screen to, I told her I did not have anywhere to stay. She helped me find resources and then, you know, submitted another research grant to get the assistance that I needed. And that's where we really make that impact because we need people to see us as there to help, to make a difference, not just to get our research questions answered, but to change their quality of life and the healthcare that they receive. It's really great to hear about the work being done at UF. And Tiffany, Danielle, a little bit earlier, you alluded to working with other institutions like Ohio State. Why don't you talk about the excitement that you're seeing from other organizations and this, this bright idea actually now being spread across the nation? I am really glad about that because I think that it is not about just making the University of Florida bright, but about making our nation bright as well. And so we started with Ohio State with co-mentoring circles, and that is essentially using small groups where the mentoring goes both ways, where we're not just one is a mentor and the other is a mentee, but we're all getting some aspects of being a mentor or a mentee. We're all growing from it. The primary aspect being along the diversity and equity 
inclusivity ideas and being able to, I steal this from Dr. Tindall being agnostic, you know, removing that agnostic aim idea from those aims so that we can see beyond that to really being intentional about access and inclusivity. It's still at its beginning stages, but Washington University got a little bit a wind of it and they want to be, <laughs> they want us to start working with them as well as Houston Medical. So I've got a bit of a line working for that co-mentoring circle, even though it's at the very beginning stages of it, it seems to be going so well that other institutions like the idea and trying to keep it small. We're, we're keeping at about 10, which is monthly meetings, but also checking in in between, but just that one time meeting once a month and then checking in with one another and then being able to, in a very brave and safe space, also keeping that we don't talk about what happens outside of it, but being able to talk very clearly individually as well as in the group. The other thing is working with MSU, where they have a very high Gullah Geechee population there. They were having problems enrolling the Gullah population there, African-Americans there. And I was able to sit down with some of the investigators there and talk to them about some of how they were recruiting, some of the materials that they were using. And they weren't really getting any enrollment and helping them change some of their enrollment processes more along the lines of how they were reaching out rather than the materials and giving some, some points that their teams could use to reach out in a different mechanism and be a little more transparent and to open those doors. And that helped them get some enrollment going at, at MSU because it really matters how you reach out even more so than the materials that you use when you reach out. So looking at it in multiple ways, you know, not just how are you reaching out, but what are you reaching out with? And then what is your follow-up and your follow-through? People really want to know not just what are you coming here to get, but what also what are you giving? And what is the heart behind the, the context of what you're doing here? And I think that's what I'm helping other institutions do. The University of Florida, we are a state institution, so we're different than maybe some of the private institutions. But helping people see that no matter what your institution is, what the framework is of your institution, you can still build a DC3 type framework at your institution, how you can look at your institutional identity and still transform that and use what we do here. And I think Brian is, is aware of that as well, I think. Absolutely. I think some of the pieces that I would recommend other institutions consider look at is, one, aside from UF being the academic home of the International Mentoring Association, but as an institution and actually as the host institution for the Southeast Conference, we actually host a certificate program in multicultural mentoring. That is a huge, huge thing. This isn't just for staff. This is actually for leadership. We want to grow the next and the best. So how do we grow the next and the best? It's A, having that awareness and that sensitivity. And part of that begins with multicultural awareness. So multicultural mentoring program, that is an institutional investment. The second piece is institution is a, a very, very, very strong participant in a curriculum called Crucial Conversations. Wendy, I know you're familiar with that. Adbara is a participant in that as well. I think Crucial Conversations is a really strong step towards setting the tone and taking the right direction towards difficult conversations aren't easy to have, but you have to have them. But how do you do that in a way where you establish trust? I think a lot of folks think that trust builds relationship. I think it's actually the opposite. Relationship builds trust. So with multicultural sensitivity or cultural sensitivity, period, you can establish relationship with relationship and better communication. Then you can establish trust. With trust, you can therefore make inroads and have better successful outcomes with the communities that you serve and the individuals that you serve. Yeah, and it definitely, it sounds like these skills, you know, just so applicable, like you said, not just in clinical research and actually not just within your workplace, but just as a person in general and meeting people where they're at and expanding our relationship with society as a whole. It's just so exciting to see being in research my whole career, I love seeing how 
research ideas then become ingrained into medicine or public health practice. But I mean, this is, this is even broader. This is a movement that initially starts as trying to help the research mission, but it's applicable in really every aspect of life from what I'm hearing. And that's just such a beautiful thing. So we've talked about where this started. We're talking about what you're doing now, but where do you see this going? I'm really excited to hear what's the next step, Tiffany, Danielle, like where, where does this bright idea go? How does it shine even farther? One of the things that we're looking at is a human library is again, another version of telling stories and having interactions in a brave, safe space so that people can have those paradigm shifts, have those conversations that they may have never had. You may have never had a conversation with a felon before, never had a conversation with somebody who was a first-generation student. You may have never had a conversation with someone who had to work their way through college or never had a conversation with someone who was raised in a single-parent household. But having those conversations so that you can see a different vantage point than your own and grow from that. And that's all what will happen is when you have conversations with someone who has a different vantage point from you is that you'll grow from that and have different ideas and we'll solve the problems that America has faster and better because we have different vantage points and viewpoints in the room. And then we'll go to get to the point where I hope to put us out of business, that it'll be such an ingrained part of what the institution does. that It'll be a part of, of history that this is what Tiffany Danielle used to do, but now she's moved on to something else because it's so ingrained in what we do that we no longer need Tiffany and Danielle to do that. That's great. We're coming near the end of our time. I want to make sure that there's a couple of minutes here for each of you. If you have any closing statements, any other information you want to give our audience about the program or about the mission or anything that they can do, any parting comments or, or charges of call to action before we leave this today? For those of you out there that are in leadership roles, when somebody comes to you and says, can I just run with the ball and do something that I think is a great idea, be brave enough and have enough trust in your team members to let them do this. I've said this more than once in multiple forums. I'm thankful many, many times for my team members. But in this case, I'm on Tiffany Danielle's team. She is the leader running this initiative. So have that brave spot where you can say that you can empower the individual to run with an amazing idea and then give them the tools and resources that they need. Know that you can make a difference. One person can make a difference. And to know that you are going to be afraid, that you will do it with trepidation, but do it anyway. Ask the questions, approach your leadership because you never know, it may have already been on their mind or it may not have been on their mind, but the question needs to be asked, go and ask, can I do this? Because it matters. One person can make a difference for the better. And the other thing I would say is that each opportunity that you come across somebody, each interaction is a time that you can either leave a lesson or a scar. Be intentional about leaving lessons. And that lesson can be for you or for them. So be intentional about having those interactions be a lesson where you can grow or they can grow, or hopefully both of you can grow by having that interaction. And so even in this interaction today with Advara, I am grateful. I have grown. It has been wonderful. I know Brian would echo that as well. So I'm thankful for this opportunity. And I'm hoping that this was a lesson for each of the listeners today. I am thankful. Thank you. And I appreciate both of you joining us today and just really engaging in this and bringing this to a broader audience. And I hope that our audience is just as thankful for the interactions. And Brian, Tiffany, Danielle, I know you have incredibly busy schedules. So taking the time out and being able to share your story was just a really great treat for us. So thank you very much. And with that, we are going to conclude the ninth episode of Advaring Conversations with... 
If you enjoyed today's discussion, please keep a lookout on Advara's social channels and on advara.com for our next episode.